Welcome to episode 49 of Sporting Max, brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you or your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Ladies and gentlemen, today Sporting Max brings you a sports broadcaster and host. You can hear him on Fox Footy, Triple M Football and in the cricket commentary teams around Australia. His podcast, The Howie Games, is the current number one sports podcast in the country. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Howard. And here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, the 49th episode, where today we're joined by a guy you hear him on uh, Triple M footy, Fox footy, and in the cricket commentary teams. Uh, it's And he's got the number one sports podcast currently in Australia, the Howie Games. Mark Howard, welcome to the podcast, Howie. Uh, it's an incredible honour to have you on. How you going? Good on you, mate. I appreciate you having me on, Maxie. I've been excited about coming on. I'm concerned, though, with this episode 49. I know who's coming for 50 and 51. <laughs> we soon have the number one sports podcast, and uh, I'll be coming to you for advice. But, mate, very happy to have you on and uh, stoked to see you, mate. How are you, Maxie? Uh, I'm good. We're going well at the moment, so just getting ready for the big 50 and beyond. But can you announce who the big 50 is or not? Uh, we're not going to announce it yet. We will uh, announce that soon to come. Okay, well, all I will say to your <laughs> audience, when 50 drops, I used to play cricket with your 50th guest. He's a good, good uh -huh. man. So <laughs> I look forward to listening to what he or she has to say. Yeah. Now, Howie, growing up, uh, what was it like for you? Oh, mate, I grew up uh, in all sorts of different places. My mum and dad moved around a lot, but my main mm -hmm. high school years were in a place called Taralgon, which is in the Latrobe Valley, and I went mm -hmm. to school in Sale for my high school years, and then I came back to Melbourne for uni. But we moved around a lot uh, when I was a young fella. So what, at what age did you start to notice that, you know, you wanted to get into broadcasting or some sort of something in the side of sort of radio or sports media? Max, I'd love to tell you that at age five, I wanted to be a cricket commentator, football commentator, not at all. I had no idea. I did a business degree in sports management, Max, which was nothing to do with sports and the media. I spent a couple of years backpacking around the world, which was outstanding. And I fell into a job on the Formula One World Tour. So I used to travel around to all the Grand Prix um, and I was pulling camera cables and connecting cameras. And then as, as things passed on, mate, I, I had the opportunity to interview some drivers and, and I'd done mm -hmm. a lot of the different jobs in the world of TV, Max. And I thought at this stage, wow, this is the, the, the most fun part. But prior to that, mate, I had no interest, no understanding or no knowledge. And then probably it was another 10 years until uh, Triple M Radio said, why don't you do a practice call when I was doing mm -hmm. the boundary for a lot of time? And I thought, oh, I'm not sure that's really what I <laughs> good at. And I had a crack at it. And it's taken me a long time to be able to get my head around it. So I, I really fell into it, Max. I didn't have any preconceived idea. What about you? Is that what you want to do? Uh, yeah, I want to get into sort of broadcasting and sports sort of commentating and then maybe a bit of boundary writing and things like that. So if you could choose one sport and one role to play in that sport, what's your dream gig right now? What's the one where you could sit back and say, you know what, I've done exactly what I wanted to do? Probably sports commentating. What sport? I don't know, maybe basketball, football. Basketball. So we, basketball. I don't want you to limit your horizon. So we're we talking commentating <laughs> the NBA now? Uh, NBA, NBL. I like both of them. And then I love the AFL, obviously, because, you know, it's Australian sport. Yeah, well, you've made a great start with your podcast, mate. Who do you go for in the footy? Oh, St Kilda. <laughs> Kilda. What do you think? A, uh, rough season. How do you think they're going? Oh, they're... 
going pretty average at the moment. I think Roel Marshall gets back in form and he gets back. And I think they were over the last two years, 15 wins, five losses with mm. Paddy and Ryder both finishing the game. Yeah. Um, so with both of them, they're looking pretty strong. Obviously beat the Tigers, so. Yeah, that was a good win. That was like yeah. that, that game, but I should stop asking you questions. This is your who do you who do you go who do you go for in the footy? I go for the Hawks, mate. My father went for the Hawks, and I passed mm-hmm. that on to both my kids. I was lucky enough when they were little, uh, when they were probably three and five, the Hawks mm-hmm. won the first of their three premierships in a row. So I got them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Carlton supporter, Maxie. So I managed to get them on board with the Hawks. It's a tough period at the moment, but uh-huh. the Hawks will be right, mate. The Hawks will be the Hawks will win another premiership before the Saints. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you um, start to like get a passion for? Um, sort of playing sports or when did you, did you always love playing sports from an early age? Yeah, I did, mate. I grew up with a couple of sisters. So, I, and as I said, a lot of that time was in uh, the country. So I didn't have my mates around the corner. So I was always <laughs> throwing the tennis ball against the wall and, you know, <laughs> hitting off through the covers and thinking I was Alan Board or <laughs> kicking the footy around the backyard, hoping to be Jason Dunstall or Johnny Platten in my day as a Hawthorne <laughs> um, supporter. But cricket was my big passion, Maxie. I had a, I had a love and still do love cricket. I used to get up and watch all the all the one days and it was an exciting day when you'd watch the cricket. And then I started playing cricket and, and was going okay. So at a young age, started playing against the men in the country. So I played mm-hmm. cricket on a Friday night and a Saturday morning with the under-14s and then I'd go and play with the men in the afternoon, um, mm-hmm. which, was, which was fantastic. So I've always loved cricket and sport, mate, yeah. Can you expand um, on uni? I mean, you mentioned before you did a degree um, in sports management, um, and I heard you on the Dylan Friends podcast. But how did you find university? I think it was at Deakin. And how did that apply you um, with the experience or knowledge to be able to kind of transfer something to going into things like, you know, directing or producing or broadcasting and things like that? It's a great question, Max, and I can see why you've up to episode 49 because you're doing a fantastic job. So, mate, you'll, you'll kill it in the media. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you listened to Dylan. You did some research. He's a star, Dylan. Mm-hmm. I love his podcast, Dylan Friends, as well. So I did a business degree in sports management mm-hmm. which was at Deakin University in Burwood. And to be honest with you, Max, I thought it would be heavily involved in sport, but it was a lot of things I hadn't done in school, like accounting, economics, law. So. Yep. It, to be completely honest with you, mate, it didn't really fill me with a great deal of joy. I, did, I didn't love it. But what it taught me is you just need to push through and get things done. So I got about a year and a half in, Max, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure this is what I really want to be doing. And I thought, just commit another year and a half, <laughs> get your degree, and then who knows what can happen. I always wanted to travel, so I thought at least I'll have something behind me. So even though it didn't teach me anything to do with what I do at work now. It taught me to stick with things and just finish things off before you move on to the next thing. So, so in that way, it was invaluable. So you were part of um, the V8 supercar coverage um, for two years from sort of 2005 onwards. How did that opportunity sort of arise? Well, as I said, I worked for three or four years on the Formula One World Tour, Max, which was fantastic. Mm. And I, I went from pulling camera cables to producing to directing to doing all sorts I got a real grounding and then started interviewing people and then the Sydney Olympics were on and I really wanted to work at, at the home Olympics so I came home and I was the assistant director of volleyball Max which was <laughs> it was fantastic I was directing replays on the volleyball and from there I got some opportunities at Channel 7 on a show called Sports World as a producer and then eventually I went uh, I went across to Channel 10 to do the V8s as you mentioned probably about 2005 mm-hmm. 
to do the V8s and do some news uh, reporting. And at that stage, for the first time, I wasn't seen as a producer or a director. I was mm -hmm. someone that was reporting or starting to branch into sports television. So that was a really defining moment for me that I, I didn't have to worry about the other side of TV. I could focus on the part that I identified that I really enjoyed the most. So when you do all that supercar coverage, did you sort of before you went into that um, sort of have a knowledge like I actually like like cars and like all the racing and sort of thing because you mentioned like you love cricket and things like that from early age? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I, I came to love Formula One and I love mm -hmm. Formula One now. I watch every Formula One race now. I'm a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, although he's, mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's I don't know if you watch Formula One, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and is taking it up to him at the moment so i didn't know anything about v8s i hadn't grown up watching v8s i used to watch bathurst and that's about it so it was a steep learning curve i had to learn on the job and i i have no problem saying it max i've been more passionate about other sports like i'm much mm -hmm. more passionate about a cricket or footy or formula one than i was v8s but again it was an opportunity to learn and understand and see how some really good people operate I work with some fantastic broadcasters, so it was a fantastic learning experience mm -hmm. to see how they did things. Even when I say I wasn't that passionate about the sport, the athletes, the drivers, mm -hmm. are some of the best athletes I've ever dealt with. They are fantastic guys and girls, but the sport itself probably didn't grab me with a great deal of passion. Yeah. Um, now, I see you've covered some sports reports for sort of 10 News and doing some TV um, lifestyle and travelling and presenting. Can yep. you elaborate um, on these experiences? Oh, mate, it was fantastic. <laughs> so I had a job where I had to do some V8s. I had to do 50 days in the newsroom. Mm -hmm. But my news stories, Max, weren't, you know, about COVID or the financial situation or a, or about a, a situation I'm involving with the police. Mm -hmm. I had a minute and a half news story I had to do the days I was working, which was just before the sport, which was the crazy story. It was the cut up the tree or <laughs> the UFO or the man that claimed he had a a special treatment that would fix Nathan Buckley's <laughs> hamstring or, or these weird and wacky things. So that they were the stories I did. And I guess doing those, I got to display a little bit of personality on the news, which mm -hmm. is unusual in a newsroom. And from there, there was a an opportunity for a morning show needed a travel and lifestyle presenter. And that was mm -hmm. fantastic, mate. I would fly around the world with a cameraman. We would fly to America for four weeks and shoot 40 different stories in all American wow. cities or you know, I can remember you're talking about experiences. We were in Canada mm -hmm. and we had to do a story about hiking through the Canadian wilderness. Mm -hmm. And the true story, Max, we had to gear up and we went to the shop to get all this stuff to film the story about what you need. And I was asking about bears because we were a bit concerned <laughs> about bears, the cameraman, he's got a big camera, you don't want to get chased by a bear. Uh -huh. And the guy in the shop in Canada said, don't worry. And he handed me a can, a, a, a can of what would look like Mortine fly spray or, mm. or Aeroguard. I'm. What's this, mate? He said this is bear spray, and I thought <laughs> he was. I thought he was just being ridiculous because yeah. I was a tourist. And he said, no, if a bear comes up and he gets close enough to you, you need to spray the bear in the face with the spray. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Max, a bear's got to get pretty close to you to be actually yeah. able to spray. To able to spray it. So, yeah, it was great like that, mate. We we travelled to all sorts of places and filmed lots of stories. And I have a passion for travel. That's my favourite thing to do when I'm not working is to travel. So to combine the two, I was very, very fortunate. I loved every moment of it. Uh, also in 2008, um, you joined the 10's AFL commentary team um, as a boundary rider. 
What was that first season on an AFL commentary team like for you? I mean, was it sort of overwhelming, do you think, the first game that you covered? Yeah, I mean, it was massively overwhelming. Your research is outstanding because I, <laughs> I can't remember half of this stuff. So I can remember the first game I did mm-hmm. and we were in Tasmania and it was the Hawks taking on the West Coast Eagles. Mm-hmm. And I'd grown up listening to a fella on the ABC radio called Tim Lane. And he was commentating that day. And Malcolm Blight was commentating that day, who's a legend in the game, premiership premiership coach. And I was in awe of these guys. And we had to fly down uh, to Launceston. And it was about three hours before the game. So we sat there and had breakfast together, myself, Tim, and Mm -hmm. Malcolm. And I was exactly like you're thinking, Max. I was like, I I can't believe (laughs) these guys, because I was passionate about football. And it was a pretty tough initiation you had to sort of dive in and do your best and mm-hmm. there was a guy max called ashley hansen who played for the west coast eagles and the very first thing i had to report on on the boundary he hurt his finger mm-hmm. and i had a look and he came off and he was getting it strapped up and i didn't max i'm not a doctor and i remember clearly <laughs> saying, well hansen has a finger issue but he's getting it strapped up tim he'll be back on soon mm-hmm. Not only, Max, did he not come on soon, he did not play for the next 10 weeks. <laughs> so I got it horribly wrong, but I was able to find my way and figure out what the boss wanted on the footy, and then the footy was fantastic. I loved it. My favourite moment on the footy was when Buddy Franklin kicked his 100th goal <laughs> and I got to run out on the ground and then chase him around in the change rooms and interview him <laughs> and run back out on the ground. That was one of my favourite memories from the footy. So I loved the footy. I really did. But I never thought when I was on the boundary, I never had a thought that I would be commentating and it wasn't really something I wanted to do or even thought about doing at that stage. So when you were sort of there for Buddy's 100th goal, um, what was that like to watch everyone just storm onto the ground? And what are your sort of memories of that unbelievable day? It was brilliant because Brendan Favola ended up being caught short. The big fev ended up on 99. (laughs) I think Buddy needed a couple and uh, a lady by the name of Christy Malthouse would do the boundary on the Saturday night and I would do the Saturday afternoon. And I'd done Saturday afternoon just up the road from where we both live in Geelong. And the boss said, mate, Christy's pregnant. We, we don't want her having to be out on the ground amongst all the people. So boundary ride together. And if Buddy kicks his hundred, he's agreed that you can talk to him on the ground. Mm-hmm. So he kicks his hundredth, Max. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> Stephen Quartermain's talking about people power has spoken. They jumped the fences. Yeah. By the time we got out on the ground, Buddy was already down the race. So <laughs> we followed him down the race and he went down into the rooms and the media manager came out and said, I'll never forget it, oh, Bud's decided he'd prefer not to have a chat. He just wants mm-hmm. to get back out on the game because the game had stopped, Max. He was down in the yeah. chat. There was players <laughs> having selfies taken out in the middle of the ground. So the media manager said, oh, maybe we just give it a miss. And the mm-hmm. producer who you have in your ear, a guy called Joel Starsevich, said to me at the time, Max, how he, what has Bud said? And I just waited up and thought, I- I'll risk mm-hmm. this. But I said, no, nah, Bud said he's good to go. He's good to go 100%. And I saw the door open. So Stephen Quartermain threw down to me. And I, it just, whatever I compared, I think I talked to him mm-hmm. like he was a rock star and what was it. But the energy from the crowd when he came yeah. up the race, Max, and people saw him, it was as much energy as I felt. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. So, yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic, fantastic moment to see up close. Um, throughout 2009 until 2011, you were the main man after Channel 10 bowled and commentating the 2009 and 2011 Grand Finals. 
Um, what was that build-up like to these huge events for you? And can you describe or remember these experiences? I can, mate. I can remember both the grand finals I did for 10. So in 2007, because we used to swap, mm-hmm. I think the coverage was swapped with Channel 9 at, at that stage. I, yeah. I could be wrong, but we used to alternate grand finals. So in 2007, when Geelong won the grand final and smashed Port Adelaide, I was mm-hmm. doing crosses into the footy from... Cadinia Park with all the crowd there. So I wasn't yeah. at the game. But at 2009 and 2011, I, I was at the ground doing the boundary. And there's a couple of things I can remember. There was the famous Meatloaf concert. I'm not sure if you're mm. aware of Meatloaf. He, he played <laughs> at the grand final, Max. Yep. And he butchered it, Max. That's what Gil was talking about on the slide the other day. And I was with Andy Marr, another boundary rider. And we stood in front of Meatloaf. And I said to Andy Murray, I said, gee, Meatloaf, it just doesn't sound any good. He said, no, nah, mate, it's because it's coming through our ears and the feedback and it's just, it'll be fine on TV. And it wasn't fine on TV. Mm-hmm. The other thing I remember quite clearly is in 2009 when the Cats won, I was lucky enough to do the interviews with the players on the ground. And oh, wow. the, the great Tommy Hawkins was holding the cup and I went up <laughs> there was his first premiership Um his, his great mate, Joel Selwood, had won one in 2007, but mm. Tommy had won his first grand final and he was with Joel and Max, when I asked him how he was feeling, he swore. He dropped the <laughs> F-bomb, Max. So I yeah. hate to say it. He dropped the F-bomb and it went live on television and on we went. And then in 2011, same situation, Geelong win the grand final again and I grabbed Tommy as he's wandering around the, uh, the ground and I said, oh, Tommy, can we go? He's, yeah, 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 no worries, no worries. I said, mate, whatever you do, don't swear this time. Third word, again, he was so excited, he dropped the F-bomb a second time. So that are my memories of the grand final. Big Tommy Hawkins swearing and me. <laughs> um, now you co-hosted your own footy show um, alongside Scotty Cummins and Wayne Carey, um, named The Game Plan. What was the show about and what was it like being on set and how do you know what to do because you've played the role um, of the producer or director or run the cables? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a good point. So... At that stage, I was starting to get more comfortable in sports television. And because I had been a director or a producer or done the graphics or written the auto cue or rolled in the replays, I knew and still do know, Max, what everybody needs. So I've done quite a few of the jobs. So when I'm hosting something or commentating something, I know what the director needs or what the producer needs or what the replay guys are looking for or what the graphics people are doing. So that, that certainly helps me. But I'll... Now, this is a lesson that you will learn at some stage. Mm-hmm. You dominate sports media, which I've no doubt you will, Maxie. As good as you are, you will get to this situation. So I was really keen to have Wayne Carey on the show. And the boss mm-hmm. agreed. Wayne hadn't done much TV. He'd been away for a while. And the boss said, right, we're going to have a good crack at this for two years. And it was a, it was a TV a sports football show. So yeah. we knew the games. We've had guests. It wasn't revolutionary, but it was Scotty yeah. Cummings and Wayne Carey. And it was on 1HD, which was the new Channel 10 Sports 24-hour channel, which sadly didn't last long because it was a good idea. But anyway, so the boss said, right, we're going to have two years at this. It's you, Duck, Wayne, and and Mm -hmm. come over, Big Scotty. Go for your lives. So I thought the show was going pretty well. (laughs) After round 14, in the first year, when we were looking to do at least two years to Max, the boss called me in and he said, Howie, there will be no show in round 15. Oh, no. like we got to buy well is, is duck away Scotty <laughs> said no no the show has been cancelled and at that point you realize 
and you have to realize I was pretty flat about it, Maxie, because it was the first mm-hmm. time I hosted my own show. Yeah. That, well, well, not my show, but it was the first time I'd been up front of a show like that. It was quite high profile. It had advertising in the paper and it was supported by the network, but enough people weren't watching it. Mm-hmm. And I realized then that all you can do is do your best and work hard and do everything you can to make what you're doing the very best you can do. But some things are out of your control like that. We got sacked, the show got the chopo. <laughs> and you just got to learn to deal with it and move on to the next thing. You can't take these things to heart, just like mm-hmm. any job. Everyone gets sacked from a job and I got sacked from that job. The show was no longer, but I learned a lot of lessons not to take it to heart and just move on to the next thing. Um, now, can you tell me about how your role um, with Fox Cricket, commentating Test Cricket and One Days um, and T20s also, plus um, the Big Bash came about? Yeah, so I was still at Channel 10 and Channel 10 had never done cricket before, Max, mm-hmm. and Channel 10 got the rights to the Big Bash. Now, the Big Bash was a very successful product on Fox yep. at, the, at that stage, but what it became on Channel 10 was quite extraordinary. You know, we had mm-hmm. 1.2, 1.3 million people watching a night, and the same boss that had employed me to do the football on the boundary, he knew I loved cricket. He knew I was passionate mm-hmm. about cricket, and he originally said, would you love to be involved in the Big Bash, and I'm like, whatever it takes, I would <laughs> love to be involved in the Big Bash. And I thought he would have me as a sideline, like a boundary rider, mm-hmm. as we have on the Big Bash. And he said, "Do you think you could call it?" And I had no idea, Max. And this is this is another lesson that mm-hmm. that I've really learned is just say yes to things, mm-hmm. and then figure out how to do it. So I just said, "Yep, of course I can do it." And we had a couple of practices in a studio with with Ricky Ponting. Ricky Ponting came in. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. there thinking, how can I be trying to commentate cricket next to Ricky Ponting? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't meant to be doing the first night, but there was a late decision change. I'm not sure why. So it was myself, Ricky Ponting, Adam Gilchrist, and I think it was Damien Fleming. Oh, wow. The bowler stood at the top of the mark, and I have never been so nervous in my life, Max, because I mm-hmm. haven't watched cricket forever. I've listened to cricket forever. I know cricket inside out, but you still don't know when the bowler comes in and lets the ball go for the first time, what is going to come out of your mouth? Mm -hmm. And hopefully something half sensible came out of my mouth. So the big bash went very, very well. I was a very small part Mm -hmm. to the real superstars like Junior and Gilly and these guys. But as a result of that, when 10 lost the rights to the cricket and the cricket went to seven and Fox, there was an opportunity to go to one of those two, which Mm -hmm. was a really interesting process in itself. Uh, That's how I ended up at Fox. And then the boss said, would you like to call test cricket? And I said, Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's my dream job when we're talking about you calling footy or, or mm-hmm. calling the nba or the nbl for me mm-hmm. calling test cricket is the best possible job i could ever have i can't see a job that would be any better than that i just can't mm-hmm. now working with our uh, superstar people and cricketers um like isha Bruha, adam gilchrist you mentioned damien Philerming, um and shane warren what's it like for you like you mentioned before you're sitting next to ricky ponting going how am i sitting next to ricky ponting calling a game of cricket well, that's exactly what I would do. And, and I've done that for years and I still don't lose sight of that. I grew up going to the Boxing Day test and to mm-hmm. sit at the Boxing Day test match the first year Fox had it against India and the boss said, right, you do the first stint. So you, you do the first mm-hmm. half an hour next to Shane Warne and Kerry O'Keefe. Oh, mate, <laughs> this, is, this just can't be real. Like pinch me and I'm going to wake up. Mm-hmm. But what you need to realise, what, what, what I've always tried to do is make the stars of the show the stars of the show, Max. So people mm-hmm. tune in to watch Kerry or Shane or Ricky at Channel 10 or Gilly yeah. or, or Vaughny. I don't think they tune in to watch me. So I do everything I can to make 
those people have the best opportunity to be portrayed yeah. the best light. However, in saying that, and I've stuck to that for seven or eight years of cricket broadcasting, what I've also began to realise, and Shane Warne pointed this out to me at the start of this summer, he said, mm. he said that, and I, it was very kind of him, he said, listen, mate, I appreciate that you always defer to us and give us every opportunity, but he said, you've done enough of this now where you can be more part of the broadcast mm. yourself. Now, I don't offer my opinion, Max, but I'm probably, I probably talk a little bit more and have a little bit more fun yeah. and <laughs> myself now than I ever have been. And I must credit Shane and my boss, Steve Crawley, for saying, all right, you've done enough of this now. People will like you or dislike you, but they will realise that you've had a long grounding in cricket. So mm -hmm. your voice can carry a little bit more weight. Still nowhere near as much yeah. as superstars. <laughs> I've probably been a little bit more involved in the last couple of years. And, and a lot of that's thanks to Shane and my boss, Steve. Uh, Fox footy, commentating the footy. How have you found uh, your time here so far? Yeah, so it's it's been brilliant. I was mm -hmm. I, I was a little bit reluctant to do it, Max. I already had mm -hmm. a pretty full plate of things to do, and I travelled a lot over summer, and I didn't want to spend an enormous amount of time over winter away from my family. Mm -hmm. So we'd been talking about it for a while, and then COVID hit, mm -hmm. and there was no travelling, and commentators couldn't come from interstate to call games. So my first game of football was with Gary Lyon at the MCG and Dwayne Russell. And again, it was like the first day of the Big Bash, mate. I was really nervous. Yeah. I was a little bit reluctant to do it because I, sometimes you look at the other people that are playing the role. And at Fox, mm -hmm. amongst commentators, they had Dwayne Russell and Anthony Hudson, amongst a mm -hmm. host of other commentators. And I looked at those guys and thought, wow, they are way, way better at commentating football than I am. So I'm not sure if I want to put myself in that position where people are thinking, gee, this bloke's no good. He's not as mm -hmm. good as these other guys. So I did a lot of work on it and I called the first game at the ground and then bang, <laughs> week two, all of a sudden <laughs> in a studio, mate, and we weren't at the ground. And that was a whole nother learning curve because when you're at the ground, if Jack Steele gets it out of the middle, for example, mm -hmm. and he kicks long to Tim Membry, with your binoculars, you can you look can at see, it yeah. and you can see Tim Membry's about to take the mark. So you've got time to think, right, it's going deep to memory and you can build it up. Yeah. When you're commentating the football off the television due to COVID, you can only see where the ball is going once the director has cut to that camera. Yeah. So you have to be a lot sharper on it. So I'm learning as I go. I, I would like to think I've got better at it. I love it. I love it a lot more than I mm -hmm. thought I would. Uh, it, it's, it's given me the opportunity to work with some wonderful people like Jonathan Brown and Nick Rewalt, David mm -hmm. King, Jared, <laughs> Eddie Maguire to call alongside these people. So to answer your question more succinctly, I love everything about it and I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought mm -hmm. of. What's the one thing that you find, I guess, assists you most in broadcasting from when you were a producer um, or di director? Knowing what I need to know. Mm -hmm. so I've worked with some guys and girls that do so much preparation and research and mm -hmm. I've tried to do that and that doesn't work for me. It gets me anxious and it gets me off the track of being myself and listening and reacting and probably having a little bit more fun. Yep. So I think from doing all those other roles, I've understood now exactly what I need to do to prepare for me. It might be different to what Luke Darcy does on a Friday night with me or Nathan Brown on a mm -hmm. Sunday or it might be different. I'm calling with Eddie this week for the um, 
Melbourne GWS game, my preparation will be different to him, but I no longer look yeah. across and see pages of notes and think, gee whiz, that's not what I've done. I look yeah. at what I've got and what I need to know and try and be myself. And so everything I've learned is to be comfortable in your own preparation, be confident in your own preparation, prepare, do what you need to do and know mm -hmm. every single player inside out, but then just relax and enjoy yourself because that's what works best for me. Um, now, Triple M Radio, how did that opportunity um, to be a part of the radio station present itself? Ah, I was doing some work for Channel 10 at the Rising Star Awards mm -hmm. uh, live on stage and I had to interview a couple of footballers live on stage and the boss of Triple M at that stage, Ben Amafio, who is now the CEO of the North Melbourne Football Club, mm -hmm. was heavily involved with Cricket Australia. He is a truly great, great man, is Ben, and I wish him all the success at the Kangaroos. He was in the audience and he contacted me later and he said, the way you chatted with those guys and you, your ability to have a laugh and show a little bit of personality, that's what we try and do at Triple M Football. Mm -hmm. So would you like to come in and have a chat about it? So I did. And, and he said, okay, next year, do a, do a game a week on the boundary. So I was mm -hmm. going to do one game a week on the boundary, Max, which was good. It was a good learning experience. Yeah. And I was working with some like James Brayshaw, Brian Taylor, Gary Lyon, Danny Frawley, Jason Dunstan, <laughs> these superstars. And I learned a lot from them. But about three weeks into my first year, the main boundary rider, a guy called Dr. Peter Larkins, who was elite at his job. I think he mm -hmm. took a job at a different radio station. And the boss said to me, mate, I know you're only doing one game a week, but Pete does these other two. Just for the next month, can you do these two other games? So you need to do mm -hmm. three games a weekend, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> and that was meant to last for a month. And that lasted for five years. So, you know, I did 65 games of football every year and did my role on the boundary. But I listened to the superstars in the box when I started to think maybe I'd like to get involved in commentary, I listened to what they did and how they hosted and how they called. So it was like getting paid to study what someone else is doing that's successful. So it was a really, really good experience. And now that I get to do that and, and host some shows and call the footy, uh, it's fun, mate. It's fun. It's a lot more relaxed mm -hmm. than the TV and I don't have to shave and I can wear my thong <laughs> or shorts and it's just a little bit more relaxed. Uh, the Friday Huddle, yourself, Jason Dunstall, uh, Nathan Brown, Damian Barrett and Luke Darcy. Take me through uh, what goes on. Do you listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how would you describe the show? Bit of fun for a Friday night, preview the game before um, the big Friday night game and then call it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do in recent times and Damian Barrett as well, who is a star. In recent times, we probably don't try and talk about a great deal of football, Max. We probably mm -hmm. try and have a little bit more fun. We have some guests. We have a few segments that are a bit more lighthearted. And it is a show, Max, where it's like sitting around with your mates. So mm -hmm. when you've got your mates at school and you've seen them do something a bit foolish during the week, you'll have a laugh with them about it and yeah. probably, you know, joke around with them and possibly tease them a little bit. That is what that show is. So mm -hmm. if I said something on your podcast, Max, that they didn't, think paid enough tribute to them and say yeah. how they, were. they would play part of this and say you're getting ahead of yourself you've forgotten who you started with you've forgotten yeah. it's that type of show it's good old Australian blokes hanging out having a laugh at each other's expense not upsetting each other not upsetting anyone in the community just having a little bit of fun around football which is what footy's meant to be mate some fun I saw them uh, digging into you over the uh, Dylan Friends podcast. Yes, well, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so 
I'll, okay, I'll take you behind the scenes of what happens and sometimes what you have to do, which is called falling on your sword for the benefit of the show, Max. So I went on Dylan's podcast and they accused me of dropping names because <laughs> the people we've talked about here in this show, they say, oh, you're always dropping names. And I joke with them saying, well, I'm more international and you guys are more local. It's yeah. all fun and games. But they wanted a... They wanted to go through the episode and get lots of opportunities of me dropping names. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't done it, Max. I, I hadn't <laughs> been talking about it, unlike this. So the producer rang me and he said, can you record on your phone 50 or 60 names? Just drop in. Oh, then I saw Kathy Freeman. Oh, then I was talking to Adam Gilchrist. So mm -hmm. I did that. And then the editor cut it up. And then he gave that to Jason Dunstall. And when you're listening at home, then Jason's saying, have a listen to you on the podcast, Howie. You're dropping <laughs> so it's set up, but the audience doesn't know it's set up, Max. So that is what's called falling on your sword, letting others laugh at you at your expense. But it's part of the fun of that show. Um, now your podcast, The Howie Games, it's the number one sports podcast uh, currently in Australia at the moment. Now, I love your work, Carrie, and love listening uh, to The Howie Games. You've always got superstar guests. Uh, like Tony Hawk, Greg Chappell, uh, Nathan Lyon, Craig Bellamy, Rob Whitaker, um, Kelly Slater, Steve mm. Smith, you know, Wasim Akram, Laura Jackson, Joe Ingalls, um, Gazy, uh, Patty Mills, the list goes on. Um, but how did you first start out this podcast and where did the idea or, I guess, inspiration come from? Uh, the inspiration came from an interview I did with Lewis Hamilton at Channel 10 in the Formula One Grand Prix week. Mm -hmm. And the interview went for probably half an hour. And he's a rock star, Max. Do you, do you watch Formula One at all or not? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so he, he's one of the brightest stars of world sport. And only because of commercial television, probably only five minutes of the interview went to air. Mm -hmm. 25 minutes didn't. And, and a good mate of mine by the name of Jarvis Hunter is an editor. And I was complaining, saying to him, Jarvis, this is 25 minutes. <laughs> see the light of day. And he said, well, these people you meet, you should do podcasts with. Mm -hmm. And actually, I did not know what a podcast was. That's nearly five years ago. So I explored what they were. I bought some equipment, which you've done. Mm -hmm. And I set about contacting people I knew. The first ep episode I recorded was with Dennis Cometti. The first ever episode I released was with Adam Gilchrist. And I'm lucky mm -hmm. enough to work with a lot of these people. So I got a step ahead as far as getting guests. And it just grew, mate. You know, the first month we had maybe 100 people listen and we were excited. And then it got to 1,000. Then it got to 100,000. And then it got to, to where it is today. So it's been the funnest thing I do at work, but it is also the hardest I've ever worked on anything in my whole life. Now, Kelly Slater, I mean, I know you've always wanted him on the Howie Games and you've recently had him on. What was it like to finally get him on? Well, it was brilliant, Max. It was brilliant because I, I love surfing. It's my passion. Surfing and travel is my two passions. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that it took me four years, I genuinely spent four years trying to get Kelly Slater on the show. And I'd been sending him text messages back and forth through a friend of mine called Trevor Hendy, who had been on the show for two and a half years and a couple of times that it was going to happen. And then I can clearly remember getting the message saying, okay, Kelly saying, I'm right to go. Let's do it next Thursday. And I sat here in this very spot where I am now, in the family spare bedroom. I'm yeah. thinking, will he actually be there? Will he be there? And then, as you know, in Zoom, you get the, yeah. the top saying, Kelly Slater is in the waiting room. And oh, I was freaking out. <laughs> the king is here. 
This is my favorite <laughs> of all time. The king is there. I popped it on and he said g'day. And it was everything I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his wife was cooking in the background for part of it, which was a little bit tricky because it was meant to go for an hour max and about mm-hmm. an hour 10 in, she started cooking and I could hear her cooking in the background. I thought, oh no, people are going to hear her cooking the stir fry. And I thought to myself, yeah. do I say, Kelly, can you ask your wife, your partner, sorry, to mm-hmm. maybe stop cooking, thinking he might say to me, you know what, mate, we've already gone an hour. We're pretty much out of time and dinner's mm-hmm. just about ready. Or do I not say anything? So I didn't say anything. And he couldn't have been more generous, more interesting. He's a fascinating guy. Mm-hmm. So it lived up to everything, everything I could have hoped for. So now I want to ask you a question. My, my guest was Kelly Slater. I've, now that he's yep. been, I have another guest off in my mind. If you could choose one person to have on your magnificent show, Max. It doesn't matter whether you think you can get them or not. Because yep. if you progress and work hard enough, you will get the person. Who is it? Uh, probably Eddie Maguire, Craig Hutchison, or yourself, probably. Right. They were, pro- they were probably the three sort of the top of my list. Right. Well, that's very kind, and the, <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I hope you get Craig and Eddie, but if you do, and you will soon, then you need to reset the bar again, Max. Mm-hmm. I think it's time you started going international, mate. I think <laughs> I, I do. I think it's time you started thinking about international guests because that's the thing I've learned about my podcast. If I just have Australian guests on, It'll be popular in Australia, like yours is very popular in Australia. Mm-hmm. But say you get uh, the lead NBA commentator and you work hard and you eventually get him on mm-hmm. and you have this conversation with him, whoever he may be, I don't watch much NBA, <laughs> then people in America know about your show and they start listening mm-hmm. to your show and all of a sudden you get a little bit of an audience there or I had quite a few English people on. So it grows the audience there. So mm-hmm. I think... Once you manage to get Craig and Ed on, which I'm sure you will, and both great men, then I think you need to start thinking international. So you can mm-hmm. take this to, uh, more broad. Don't yeah. don't your horizon, especially now with Zoom, Max, mm-hmm. because I was the same, mate. I, I couldn't get Kelly Slater in Melbourne. It was going to be a near mm-hmm. impossibility, but now we yeah. can do it <laughs> Bang. He's, he's just at the end of the computer. So go international, man. Go international. Now you're up to, I think, 127, 128, I think it is now with the Howie Games, Dylan Olcott. Yep. Um, what's it like for you to sit down with these superstar guests and have them share their stories? It's brilliant. It's uh, I mentioned to you before, it's my favourite thing I do. I am fascinated by their achievements, but the thing that fascinates me most of all, Max, mm-hmm. is that anyone who has achieved success will have failure along the way. And what yep. I've learned from all these people is you need to work hard and you need to take failure on the chin and not look at it as it that you've lost the game. You, you might have lost the battle, but the war's there still to be won, so to speak. So I love it, mate. You, you know, last week I spoke to Sandy Roberts. Uh, uh-huh. the, the other day I spoke to Dylan. I spoke four days ago to a guy in California called Sean White, who's the best snowboarder the world's mm-hmm. ever seen. That episode hasn't come out yet. So to sit and have the chance to chat with these people and find out what makes them tick, mm-hmm. It's brilliant. It's brilliant, mate. It's 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 a privilege and it's fun. It's really fun. Um, now, who would you be predicting um, as your AFL premiers this year? Ooh, Geelong to beat the Bulldogs in the grand final. What about the Bulldogs. you? Bulldogs. Mm. Oh, I was probably going to go with the Bulldogs over 
I don't know, Geelong or Melbourne or something like that because they're looking like a pretty strong team at the moment. Not the Sainers, mate? No, not the Sainers at the moment. I think they'll be lucky to make the eight. Oh, well, there's always next. <laughs> um, so who do you reckon is the AFL Brownlow medalist? Oh. Mm -hmm. Uh And keep an eye on David Mundy. Yeah. The more games Nat Fife misses through injury, Mundy's had an unbelievable season. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. Bonton Pelly, Mundy, Ollie Wines has had a great season at Port Adelaide mm -hmm. as well. So oh, I'd say one of those three, but who knows? What do you reckon? Uh, the Bont. Yeah. We've also been playing some. some uh, Tracker was going all right towards yeah. the start of the year. Now Melbourne's all sort of, they're yeah. still at the top, but then they don't have the individual performances that sort of team Oh, yeah, I think Bont, I could see Bont with a medal around his neck. I, I think he'd be a fantastic yeah. winner, a fantastic athlete and a fantastic role model for, for the likes of you and me. So he, he'd be a deserving winner. He'd be a great Brownlow medalist. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you love surfing. I like you mentioned before. How do you rate yourself on, as a surfer? Terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> but you know what? I, I didn't learn until I was 21. And I lived out in a little place on the coast, Bowen Heads, where the guys and girls I surfed with learnt when they were five, like my mm. kids. So they rip and I don't. Um, I love it, though, because it's taken me to so many places around the world. I'm no good at it, but I've surfed in South America, Central America, Papua New Guinea. I've surfed in Africa. I've surfed in the Middle East. So I've, it's taken me to a lot of places I wouldn't have gone. And mm. now the true joy I get out of it is surfing with my kids, especially my mm. son. Uh, a great surf for me now is seeing him catch 10 waves and me pushing him onto 10 waves and me catching one wave. So mm. my priorities have changed, but I've just made a tweak to something I've been doing mm. last week. I surfed something I saw my son do that I haven't been able to do. And I managed to do it the other day, Max, and it's, it opened a door to a whole nother <laughs> surfing. So maybe, maybe even at my age, I can get a little bit better, which would be fantastic. Uh, what drives you every day? Gee, that's a good question. Um, what drives me every day? A few things. One, to do everything I can to make my family happy. Yeah. And provide my kids with opportunities to see the world and to experience that with my wife and my kids. So mm -hmm. from my main driving point is to see my family happy. Mm -hmm. uh, in a work perspective, I've probably only become driven in the last five or six or seven years. Mm -hmm. So now I am really driven to do things to my best and take it to the next level. And the podcast is probably the best example of that. I'm always trying to mm -hmm. improve it or grow it. So I'm really driven just to, to do the best I can do at everything I do at work, especially when I spend a lot of time away. If I'm at a test match and I'm away from a family for a week, I might as well be doing everything I can to do a good a job as I can. Otherwise, I'm wasting my family's time by being away. Mm -hmm. Have you got um, any advice for me uh, to get into sports TV and radio or broadcasting and get to the next level? Yeah. The majority of my advice when I speak to people your age, how old are you, Maxie? 14. Yeah. So the majority of my advice is it's not, like it was when I was growing up where you had to get a job at a TV station mm -hmm. or a radio station or a newspaper. 
Now you have the world at your fingertips, but you've already taken advantage of this advice. I say to mm -hmm. um, young people your age, why not start a podcast or a blog or do your own commentary of the footy or the cricket and put it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that with the podcast. So you're already a step, 99 steps ahead of the mm -hmm. opposition, your competition. So for you, mate, I would continue to do what you're doing. I'll continue to hone your podcasting. Mm -hmm. If you want to do commentary, start doing it. I don't know if you do it at home. Yeah. Record it. Get an eye on it. Get a feel mm -hmm. for it. And then when you finish school, when, you, when you're at school, do work experience at the local TV station, local yeah. station. As far as your podcast goes, you're doing a phenomenal job and it is a brilliant show and I've listened to a few episodes. To go to the next step, to take yourself from super to maybe even elite, have the confidence in yourself to write down all the information, know everything you need to know about me and then really have the confidence in yourself to throw your plan out the window. Mm -hmm. And the way you've structured this with me taking me through a timeline has been brilliant. It's been quite mm -hmm. wonderful and it's been wonderfully structured. Get yourself to the point where you know all that information, but you and I become even more conversational. Yeah. If I say something about surfing, that I went surfing in Nicaragua, then we're conversing so you can say, what's mm -hmm. Nicaragua like? Now, you don't know anything about Nicaragua. Yeah. Not part of what you know about me or your plan, but we're just really taking it to a whole nother level of conversation. And that's what yeah. I'm trying to do. I'm not saying mm -hmm. I can do it, mate. That's what I'm <laughs> trying to do. And don't get me wrong. What you are doing is quite brilliant. But mm -hmm. you asked me what I thought could help take it to another level. Mm -hmm. I think that could help take it to another level for you. And expanding your mind, thinking there is no one on the planet that if I work hard enough, for long enough that I can't get on the show because you can. All right. Thanks, Howie, for the advice and for uh, coming on the podcast today. Um, it's been incredible to have you on. Um, yeah, it's greatly appreciated. Mate, you're a star. I love your show. Good luck with everything at school. Keep plugging away at school, mate. Keep enjoying the sport. And I look forward to the day where I'm working somewhere, hopefully, and my boss says, oh, mate, we've got a new bloke today to contact the <laughs> with his name's Max. And I turn around and say, Maxi boy. You're here <laughs> and we're ready to go. I look forward to that day, mate. Thank you very, very much for having me on the show. Good luck with your 50th. It's a fantastic achievement. I know how much work goes into a podcast. So mm. I'm really privileged to come on your show, mate. Stay safe. Give your mum and dad a hug and, uh, and continue to do what you're doing, mate. You're a good man. Thanks, Howie. Stay true to everyone for small Sporting Max. Throw it over to the Voice of Melbourne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne, and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.